What's up, everybody? Happy Monday. This is more Milo. And I'm Ross Sinarelli. And this is Market Today. Thank you guys so much for joining us on Monday yet again for episode 105 of Market Today. And today we're gonna, we read a book, as per usual, uh, and what we read was Do, Do What Matters Most by Rob Schallenberger and Steve Schallenberger. Uh, we'll get, it late, get into that a little later in our episode. Uh, but Ross, tell us a little bit about Cardano today. Yeah, so if anyone out there has got a bag of Cardano or ADA, uh, this was a great week for all of us. Um, I think Moore knows that I have been a fan of Cardano since the beginning, since I really started getting into crypto. Um, you know, put a lot in when it was you know around a dollar, kind of watched it rise up to that, and it's really stayed stagnant for so long. But you know, really watching the markets over the last few months, we had a lot of low dips. Um, Finally, you know, got to the point where I was ready to put some more money in the market. I feel like this week, or I should say at this point last week, was going to be the start of the next kind of leg on this bull run. Bought in at, you know, an extra, you know, $1,500 or so, and this is not financial advice, but bought in at $1,500 more, I think at around the $2.11 mark. And Cardano today, as of time of recording, is at $2.80. So it has been a phenomenal week. Um, really loving, like I said, it's it's. I think it's pumping about eleven percent again today. Um, but we're really seeing, you know, I think when we look at the overall crypto market, you know, we really had a long time of consolidation, and then we had the market drop all the way down to, you know, thirty thousand for Bitcoin, where, you know, the same people that are telling you, oh, I don't want to buy it at sixty thousand, it's too high, I'm gonna wait for it to go down. They don't want to buy it fifty, they don't want to buy it forty, and even at thirty, they think, oh, well, it's still gonna go down. And I would ask people like, why? What do you like? What is telling you that it's going to continue dropping? Are you doing any market analysis, or is it a gut feeling? And most of them are just like, no, I just, I just feel like it's probably going to go down a little bit more. And I think you know, more and I have talked about this is you know, you can get into a problem if you think you're going to try to time the market at the perfect bottom or the perfect top, because you're most likely going to miss the mark. You know, it's like throwing a. I don't know, throwing a football from one boat to another and they're going opposite directions. Like, it's going to be hard, but it's possible. I think at this point, we're really on this next leg. And when you look at historically what, you know, the Bitcoin bull run has done, you know, we're still very early this year and what this is going to be. And I think between now and December, you know, you're really going to see a, a massive pump across the board. So when we talk about Cardano, especially, you know, for them, they're going to be listed in Japan starting August 25th. Um, which is incredible. Most uh, cryptos don't get listed in Japan. They're very strict. I think right now it's only Bitcoin, Cardano, Ethereum. Um, and there's one more that is escaping me right now. But there's only like four um, that are essentially out there in uh, Japan. And then the other thing too is, you know, more and I have talked about uh, smart contracts for the betterment of this entire podcast. We We had projects looking at it, you know, way back, what, three, four years more. And and now Cardano, starting, I think it's September 10th or 12th is the launch date, that they're going to be launching their smart contracts on their platform. So this is really what's going to open up this blockchain to a whole new level of DeFi um, and let a lot of DeFi apps and dApps get on the platform. So I think it's just being early. I think we're in a spot where there's nowhere near the hype that there was earlier this year. And I think as we slowly start to accumulate, I'm slowly starting to hear whispers of those regular old retail investors and I'll just call them, you know, doge investors, the ones that really have no clue what else is going on. But for me, I use them as a gauge because that means when regular crypto news is starting to leak into their feed, 
that's how I know that it's starting to gain a little bit of traction. So we're at a point now where we're right on the cusp. And I think if we look back to this podcast a month from now, I think we're going to see incredible results for anyone that's been holding crypto. Um, and I'm excited. So what, what do you think, more? I know that you have you know a good stack of crypto as well. Have you been watching it or are you just kind of setting it and forgetting it? What's your, your strategy or your mindset right now? Honestly, it's just accumulate as much as I can whenever I can. Um, so it's just obviously buying into things that are solid, like a Cardano, like, you know, Ethereum, like Bitcoin, like great stocks, like indexes, like, you know, different things like that and just accumulating, um, and just holding on to it and, and playing a long game and, and holding on to them as assets. Cause at the end of the day, you know, if you play a long game, you're going to be in good shape. So, you know, I, the thing that what you brought to the table was actually really valuable. It's wonderful to, to kind of hear you just kind of elaborate on where we're at and how, how things are moving. And obviously it's been great to watch Cardano grow a little bit here because I've been holding on to it and has kind of been plateaued a little bit. But uh, to see it, you know, getting some, some volume moving um, and, you know, the moving the needle a little bit is, is fun to watch. Um, to be honest, I wish I had more to add, but uh, you are always on top of it when it comes to all of our crypto news. So thank you, Ross. I, we appreciate you always being on top of everything what's going on. Is there anything else that uh, that comes to mind when it comes to just what's happening in the cryptocurrencies or um, just in general in the, in the world of financial markets? You know, what comes to mind is because you brought up index funds, and I think it's important to understand that, you know, all the books we've read and and talking about Warren Buffett and, and, you know, people on that level, they really tell you that the best place to be is in index funds, which are the least sexy thing to buy. They have the slowest growth. You know, there's nothing really big happening there. And I think that's why, like, for me personally, I was looking at do I want to buy more Bitcoin because I bought the most Bitcoin of all my portfolio when I first started um, but I got to be honest, Bitcoin's probably the one thing I haven't made money on because maybe it was just my timing. I bought it, you know, by the time my account got approved and all that, you know, Bitcoin was a lot closer to about 48K. Um, and I was using kind of bots to be able to trade in the meantime before then. But essentially, I made money on Ethereum, Cardano, and a lot of the other altcoins, but not Bitcoin. And my strategy now is really moved from where I was really loving kind of those altcoins because they are the sexy pick. You can really make a good amount of money. They have an easier shot of 5x, 10x um, because they're low cap coins. Even for me, I stayed mostly in the top 10 and sometimes went out, you know, grab one out of the top 20, one out of the top 50. But my strategy really now, at least for this round of funding that I put in, is I went with the big, the safe options. I bought, you know, a little bit more of Ethereum because that's the big blockchain that everything's building on. Um, I bought more Cardano because that's kind of Ethereum's competitor in a way. It would be blockchain 3.0. So getting in early there. And then I put a good amount more into XRP because I still believe that the financial, traditional financial markets want to come into crypto. And I think that there's so much money in that market that the people that are at the top making these rules, making these laws and these regulations, they all still want a piece. There's all a little bit of greed in some way. And I think XRP is still one of the best options that we're going to have as far as making that link. So I put, I was going to put only 500 into that and 500 into Polygon, which is a kind of level two solution to Ethereum. So long story short, if Ethereum does well, Polygon should do well. It's pretty much making the the gas fees cheaper because right now Ethereum's really expensive to work on. But 
I decided instead of that, like, I'm just going to go a little bit riskier and put more of that into XRP since my first two being Ethereum and Cardano, I deem as very, very safe plays. I felt like I can hedge it with a little bit more of a risk. So kind of went that route. The other thing, and I don't know if you saw this more, it just kind of blows my mind when you think about Ethereum and, and where these blockchains are going to be. You know, people talk about NFTs, and I actually had one of my friends today asking about NFTs because someone on Instagram that he, he follows, you know, bought two NFTs. And I'm like, all right, dude, like, just because a model bought two NFTs doesn't mean it's time for you to buy an NFT. But I think it's interesting to think what an NFT and an NFT really is something that is it's a non-fungible token. It's something that you can't be faked. And I think in the world of, you know, the Internet and digital, we saw it especially with music and, and now with art and things where anything can be copied. Anything can be easily duped. Anything can be created, screenshot, anything. Right. I think it's important to understand that now things are becoming tangible in the sense that they cannot be faked. And I think that's a really big movement for anything digital. Because right now, if Moore sends me a photo of something, I can screenshot it and me and him have the same. But if he has an NFT, even if I screenshot it, I don't own it. There's no there's no underlying code, nothing that says I'm the owner of this. So I saw something that was crazy. People are buying, and check this out more. People are buying, it's a game called Zed Run. People are buying horses in this game. And by horses, I mean they are digital horses for anywhere from $1,000 to $80,000 they have bloodlines. They have all this stuff just like if you were to go to a traditional horse race. And not only that, they're racing them. Winners get Ethereum, so you're paid out in Ethereum, whether it be first place, second place, third place. But what's crazier is that you can breed these and they can have offspring that you can also race. So you've essentially created what is an entire market in America as far as horse breeding and, and horse racing. And your people are buying horses for $80,000 digitally. Like, who, who would ever think that, that someone's going to spend $80,000 on a digital horse? And not only that, that it can make money and appreciate in value because this bloodline or whatever can be so powerful. It's just insane. And, and when I say things like that, it makes me think of, you know, we're at the Internet now where things are quick, but, you know, things can be fake, duped, um, you know, you, a lot of things that are different. And I think when you look at blockchains, people don't realize how much is going to be done on these systems, which is really why I wanted to buy more into those blockchains on this round. Because instead of buying into the individual projects, I'm buying into the kind of foundation that they're all being built on. So yeah, I will not make as much as a smaller cap, you know, uh, coin, or in this case, smaller cap project. I'm still pretty much taking a much safer bet because if Ethereum is being used by hundreds of thousands of companies or millions of people, billions of people, I mean, there's going to be a massive market for it. So to me, I, I just love tech and I love, excuse me, and I love watching where these projects are going. Um, but I think as we get to the bull run and we start to really heat up, I think my strategy is going to be to probably sell off some of my smaller altcoins, which I really do love, and either bank them into Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Cardano during the, the bear market or, or see, maybe just consolidate down to my favorite five coins that I can stake and make a you know, 5% return maybe annually. So at least my money's working in the background. And then just probably, you know, dollar cost average or buy a little bit more throughout the bear market, you know, every month or so. But yeah, man, that's that's crazy to, for me to, to hear and to see. And it's, and not only that, you're gonna see people doing it, but you same reason you're watching people 
watch streamers. You know, you're going to watch people streaming these horse races or whatever the equivalent can be. There's so many games coming out. There's a game that's like Pokemon coming out that, you know, these these are one of a kind Pokemon. Same thing. You can breed them. It, it's insane. It's insane what's coming around the corner. Um, so I just want to be a part of it. I think, you know, for me, where I am, I have a lot of stocks, but I think that crypto is a way that is the most risky to me but i believe in it so much as far as where our tech is going in the next 5 10 20 years that i think it's such a safe bet when you look long term which is why more and i are no longer trading crypto we invest we get long-term projects because it's too wild to watch you can get freaked out by a 15 percent drop one day and then all of a sudden the next day it's skyrocketing back i mean it's wild but I don't know. Any, any thoughts on any of that? I know that was a long spiel of stuff, but um, would you ever buy a, a horse for $80,000? Absolutely not. No. Maybe a maybe a real horse, but a digital horse? No, not a digital horse. But if a digital horse can make you money, you don't have to get a stable, hire someone to train it. I mean, I get where you're coming from, but uh, there's something visceral about buying a product for $80,000 that you can't touch. A lot of money. But I get it. It's money. It is money. I get, totally get it. And with that being said, let's go ahead and move into the, the book for the week. Um, so this week we read a book called Do What Matters Most by Rob Schallenberger and Steve Schallenberger. And um, it was uh, it was focused on three main, main things, right? Uh, having a vision, a personal vision, managing, uh, kind of managing your time, prioritizing the right things, you know, doing the right things at the right time. And then setting aside time to schedule out the things that you need to prioritize. Um, personally, I thought it was really good. Uh, but then, then again, this is something that I live by. I do this for myself anyway, right? Before I read this book, this is kind of how I live my life anyway. So for me, it really resonated. I thought it was really on point. Um, I saw all the value in in having a personal vision and, and working with a plan and having a plan of action and also like strategizing around time to schedule everything in and making sure that things are done. You know, I, I, I mean, Ross can attest to this. I have a, a schedule that I live and die by that is, you know, still paper and pen and I'm it's color coded and <laughs> I am religious about that thing. So... For me, I thought this really resonated. What What were your thoughts overall? Uh, Ten thousand foot view, Ross. I liked it. Honestly, I, it you know it's broken down into three key three keys, and um, honestly, I think I think it's something you can easily use. I think talking about the relationship between um, you know productivity and um, what was it? Productivity and why am I drawing a blank? Um, proficiency. Yeah, proficiency. Pretty much, you know, understanding the relationship between those two and how those lead to results, I think, is incredibly powerful. Um, but all in all, productivity yeah. and performance. Yeah. So I think it was it was really really good. So same thing as more. Like for me, my calendar is completely on Google Meets or on Google Calendar. People put stuff on my calendar all day. But every Sunday, so we record, you know, a little glimpse in the background. We normally record this podcast Sunday night so we can get it up for you guys first thing Monday morning. But what I do after this podcast, you know, we record, I edit it, and then I normally get on the computer to continue kind of getting a head start for what I want to do for my, you know, for Snapchat for the next week. So kind of figuring out what I need to do, getting a head start. Um, And for me, that planning has been so valuable for the last, you know, 
few months because nobody likes Mondays. But if you can start Monday and you already kind of know what you need to do, you've already prepped, maybe you've even cleaned out your initial email, if anything that came in over the weekend, um, it really, really makes it easier to start Monday on a good note. It makes it easier to transition from Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday and all the way through to the end. So definitely really like this book. I thought it was super well written and really clean. But um, yeah, we'll dive into this a little bit more in a second. But overall, I, I enjoyed it. Absolutely. So I think that, you know, these guys are coaches. They're I'm pretty sure that they come from a place of like training and training people and training organizations. And um, it was nice to hear kind of a couple anecdotes of different people that uh, came along and, and, you know, had certain problems and they utilized one of these three, you know, major um, topics to be able to, to change the way that they were doing things and taking themselves from where they were to, you know, the, the greatest level of where they could be. So, I mean, listen, overall, I thought it was valuable. I thought, I thought it was really straightforward. It really isn't as easy as, like, understand what your personal vision is. You know, have a plan for how you're going to take that vision and make it a reality and, and prioritize your time, like be able to, to set things aside. I think it was really quite simple and, you know, clear cut. And I think that, um, you know, anyone that wants to just become a better operator that has more structure should read the book. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, to go back to that, you know, kind of productivity thought, it's it's really... I think people who played a sport can understand this concept very easily. You know, it's it is how worth is it for you to have five practices that you kind of were lagging at the whole time versus having one or two really good practices. And I think the same thing, you know, really translate over to work. You know, if you're really trying to put in a good few hours, you know, make them solid versus having a whole day where you're kind of in and out, you're not getting much done. So figuring out ways to stay productive, and we've read this in books in the past about maybe setting, you know, timers every 30 minutes or an hour to take a moment, check your work, continue going, or turning your phone on do not disturb, or turning it upside down, putting it away from you, whatever it can be. Um, finding little things to increase your productivity to get the most out of your time because, you know, they always say that the average person only really gets like two to three hours of productivity out of an eight-hour shift, and I still believe that's very true. I think... You know, I think work from home has showed that, that we don't need to be in the office to work eight hours, get the same amount done, because that strategy doesn't actually um, help or, you know, reward people that are more efficient with their time. You know, if I can get the same job done in four hours versus my colleague that takes eight hours, why do we both have to be there for eight hours a day? Now with work from home, if you get it done in four hours, you have four hours to be with your family, walk your dog, go outside, work out, pick up a hobby whatever it can be. So I think using things like this in a, in a time now where you're becoming not just more remote, but where we're really starting to take more ownership of our own work. I feel like employers are really letting their employees still let the results kind of speak for themselves versus kind of micromanaging. And I think if you can find a way to be more productive, you can really drive down the amount of hours you're working per day, getting the same results, or you can work the same amount of hours per day, but you're seeing way better results. Now all of a sudden you're maybe the top in your company when it comes to your position or top five, top three. Um, you're just making headway because you're able to work smarter, not harder. So 
I think for me, that was kind of the biggest takeaway. And it was really refreshing to hear that I think the number was 60% of some of these really high level individuals have problem with time management. Because I think, you know, for more and I, we, we juggle a lot of things. We have our day jobs. We have multiple companies on the side that we work and try to build. We have to find time to, you know, finish these books for this podcast, get it uploaded, get the content out to you guys. Um, but we become very structured in the way that we work. So that when we do these things, whether or not we're working nine to five and then we come home and then we have our second shift, quote unquote, you know, from seven to ten or for me, more knows I love like the ten to midnight, ten to one. I'm a great person at night. Um, it doesn't feel like extra work because it's you're just you're used to it. Your, your body's used to being able to restart and get certain things done and switch your brain on at certain times. So I think for anyone out there that's, you know, feels like they have so many things to do. Kind of like Moore said, get a pen and paper out, write a list. I start every morning um, with the same thing, pen and paper, a little notepad that I have right next to me every day. I write down the date and I draw a line under it. And then I write down what I need to get done for the day. And then I just go through checking them all off. You know, and I think it, it, there's something psychological about knowing exactly what you have to get done and getting a game plan for which ones to do first. So this book's super helpful. Um, nothing mind blowing, but I think if you do struggle with time management, I think it definitely can be a big help for you. I couldn't agree more. I think all the way around and just, it's, it's a great fundamentals book. It's a book that if you want to just bring it back to, to the basics and truly understand what it's like to be a successful executor, you can utilize this book to do that. Um, and just give you a little bit more time back in your day, give you a little bit more structure. Uh, the way I like to put it is, is it's structured flexibility, right? It gives you the ability to be able to create flexibility in your schedule and still get all the things that are prioritized completed. So with that being said, guys, super great book. I think it's, it's worth the read. Uh, maybe not a top 10 like Ross said, maybe not like anything overwhelmingly mind-blowing, but a great fundamentals book, a reminder of doing the little things right and getting, you know, making, make, getting 1% better every single day, as Mr. Ross I really like to say. Um, so, with that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining us for episode 105 of our podcast. My name is Moore Milo. I'm Ross Inarelli. This is Market Today, and we will see you guys next week. Take care.